Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Creative directors at music festivals and art events are mostly anonymous by nature, but their role is arguably as artistic as the performers they curate. Applying her trade in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Lauren Gashinsky has become just such a figure, all while working in the tenuous conditions accompanying cultural work in a smaller US city. As co-founder and director of VIA Festival, Gashinsky built a reputation that saw her become a board member of International Cities of Advanced Sound, or ICAS, a global network of forward-thinking music festivals. As well as co-curating Vancouver's new forms, she's also a DJ and even holds a residence at Pittsburgh's storied Hot Mass Party. In conversation with Christine Kakari, Gashinsky shares the difficult but ultimately rewarding experiences of curating culture outside of major centres and how her homegrown talents ultimately equipped her with a skill set that would see her influence extend far beyond the US. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Lauren Gashinsky is up next. talking about Pittsburgh because when I bumped into you the other night I was really struck by how you spoke so passionately of being from and being of Pittsburgh and I'd love to know a little bit more about your city and your connection to it. Oh well where do I start? (laughs) Well I mean I've lived there since I was a teenager pretty much. I only moved away twice for a short period. I started my college in Jersey, and then I spent about a year in London in school. But outside of that, I've been in Pittsburgh. Yeah, part of it is having such a long relationship with a place that I've gone through so many phases of like hating it and loving it and being confused by it that when I talk about it to other folks, it's like this deep, long relationship that I've had. So I don't know, like, I, I think that as an adult in Pittsburgh, the things that I've loved about it are it's like ability to stretch Um, Because it's still growing in so many ways and going through, like, a new phase of life. Um, But I think in Pittsburgh, some things have moved slower than other cities. And that can be a blessing and a curse. So you have, like, a scene, at least in electronic music, that is still pretty small, but really intimate between other smaller groups. So part of that passion is, like, that you just get to know people so well. And then another part of it is just maybe my own kind of quirky appreciation for the city, like that the topography is wild and there's no rhyme or reason to certain things just because of the mountains. And I, I just really like respond to that in a city. Okay. 
I mean, do you feel like it's kind of like a um, an, a bit of an underdog type of city, just in the sense of um, putting on events and facilitating the kind of creative projects that you're involved in? Because it seems like so much of it happens in the in the United States. This is like um, closer to the big coastal cities, whereas Pittsburgh is kind of not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I think there's an acknowledgement that like Pittsburgh one is a much smaller place. I think we're hovering uh, under 500,000, like in the city proper. Um, that's a town. <laughs> in some places, that's a town. <laughs> um, yeah. And then in our metro area, maybe like 2 million or something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but because of the topography, the city city part is actually quite tight. Yeah. So yeah, I think from the outside, Pittsburgh is definitely perceived as like an underdog city. Um, and that makes, you know, when things do make waves there, like they're niche and special and they kind of crystallize in a, in a different way. But those are also the challenges of it. And that's a big reason, you know, why I started projects there was because I loved the place so much and I wanted artists to stop through. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I wanted the audiences there to have have access to other things. Mm-hmm. You know, like Pittsburgh is of the world. You know, it's just located in a certain spot in the United States, right? But right. it's got like it's got its own international history and its own odd, odd and weird local history and all those things. And I think when starting out, at least for me, when starting out like booking or putting on art events, you have to do a sell, mm-hmm. you know, at first, um, and you also are working against conditions that are like not as glamorous and or as accessible as like a place like Berlin I mean y'all have had a lot of time here to kind of rebuild and build up like the myth around Berlin but also you know build the infrastructure for culture and in Pittsburgh a lot of the things that um the same thing like a lot of things that are the challenges are also like the best part about it like I like those challenges like having only a certain number of spaces to work with or having to make spaces from scratch mm-hmm. to create the world that you want like to me that's more exciting still than plug and play right. in a city maybe that's like over overstimulated and you said you just mentioned something about um the city changing like when I was reading up um about the kind of different editions of the festival and it seemed like it was like this chronology of like how the city is changing as well like it kind of had to move to certain different areas and then to move back and then um like could you give some insight into what some of those challenges are in relation to finding these spaces in the city and you know things like development and um I guess demographic changes as well yeah so especially with Via, like a big thing was to work with sites that weren't established already and not not to the benefit of developers, right? But finding spaces that were owned by the city that were either historical spaces that hadn't been, uh, it was kind of like Willy Wonka factory, right? Like that hadn't been accessed in a while and had a history to them. Um, or, I mean, just in the reality of it, like finding spaces that were privately owned that might end up becoming developed. But making sure that maybe where we fit in that process wasn't just at the door of development. Maybe it was like a couple years before that. Um, And at that time, I would say for the first five years, working with uh, private building owners in the city, I felt really good about accessing spaces um, because really rampant development 
hadn't happened yet in certain neighborhoods. But even just when in, within a short three-year period, looking back now at eight years, you can see how where Via showed up rides just before or kind of alongside development projects. And that's something I think that you have to consider all the time. Like you can't always be out in front of it and you can't always escape it. So you have to work consciously with it. Mm. And that's something I'm still processing, right? Like how does Via fit into that story of um, being a place to shed commentary on a city, mm-hmm. being a respite for artists that you know don't have venues already established for the type of work they do, uh, introducing outside artists to a city by way of these liminal spaces that don't exist before or after they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, I still hold all, these are all questions for me, actually. Like, there's no, I don't have a result yet mm-hmm. of, like, this experiment. Yeah. Do you um, find that as, because you are heading into the eighth year, is it, or ninth year? It is the eighth year. Okay. Yeah. Um, are these kind of almost like rhetorical questions, are they increasing? Are they decreasing? Is it just, um, does it just develop um, as the festival develops or... I'm I'm curious to know like how how different your approach is I suppose now eight years in as opposed to at the beginning. I think now I have more trepidation. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I think eight years in, it's a time to take like a pretty serious like pause mm. and rethink the model of of what like not just like what Via can be for that city, but like how how it should operate. I think it needs to operate beyond the idea of a festival. And I think it has informally, but I think it's a good time to take a pause and like uh, survey the landscape and go back and like talk to partners that we've worked with, like either consistently over the years or on and off throughout the years and and really figure out what its place is. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a healthy, right? That's like a healthy thing oh, in any absolutely. business. Like yeah. you need to like always be looking back mm-hmm. to kind of see where to go. Um, but I think that the development really picked up in the last three years and this isn't just something that I'm struggling with but I mean there's so many peers of mine we're all having the same conversations right so whatever the steps are that people are taking you can't take them in isolation like I think we all need to have a lot of conversations with each other Mm -hmm. and we all need to have maybe as a group a conversation with the city Mm -hmm. right and we need to have conversations with developers where that's possible it's it's a bigger thing than just my endeavor at this point I mean, what have your conversations with the city been like? Because I feel like uh, different places that I visited and places that I'm from, from Sydney, where the relationship is really pretty adversarial at times. Like, what what has your experience been like working with the officials of the city, I suppose? I would say that we've had a very gentle relationship and that we're not really in meshed with each other. I haven't asked a lot, but I think that's also maybe an area where I need to be more aggressive Mm -hmm. and not just ask for myself. You know, there's a lot of other folks that need something at this point. So I see it as kind of like an alliance that needs to be made. And then the people that do have maybe more access than others, like we need to, to push harder for some of the things that we need. What do you see the future of via being? I don't know. I see like, I see a number, a couple, a couple futures right now. Okay. I love producing events so much. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to go away for me. And I know that no matter what what I call it, right, or if I do multiple iterations of it, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, a core component. I think, like, the real-life real encounter of humans, sound, and art 
like yeah. to me are are always going to be transformative experiences and that will always be there um doing festivals in the united states is a hard thing to do i mean unless you've got that that corporate cash yeah or a really strong foundation behind you i mean most people know at this point that that's like a losing game financially sure. i mean people most people don't get into this like for a buck you know right. <laughs> like you're getting into it because you like truly love the art of it and you're trying to find some some way to support artists in, like, a, a bigger way. Mm. I mean, what was your entry point of getting into it? Like, what was the point where it went from being an idea to being something that is going to manifest and going to be an actual event? Like, do you, you know, kind of going back those eight years, like, what was it that made it come off, you know, paper and actually occur in real life? Yeah, those were interesting discussions because there was a group of a group of five. And it was like me and five guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and one of them, were, we were the two that were really having this conversation regularly. And we had been producing events together. And honestly, it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, like when you're failing and failing and failing at it and then one day it just clicks. And that moment of being like, you know what, we're just going to do a festival. You know, we'd been doing smaller events, but out of nowhere being like, you know, we're just going to do this. Um, And then within six months being like, okay, we're going to produce this. It was like a huge leap of faith. And it's completely irrational. Like looking back on it, I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, why? how, why? But it was like some massive leap of faith that was like uh, equally driven, I think, out of this weird fear and also this like incredible hope. Mm. We're just going to do it. Um, And I think everybody in in their life, like sometimes artists, you know, maybe find their path that way too, where you just take this like blind and extremely stupid chance. And then you find yourself in like a whole other world that you had been dreaming of. You just didn't know how to get into it, you know, and you fumble fumble your way through it and you you make that path for yourself. There's nothing there like waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And that's that's like how we all did it. Um, And how has the kind of core team of via change does it more or less look the same as when you started Mm-mm, no it's changed a lot yeah um I mean I would say it's like the ownership of it like it's still an LLC um and I'm the lady <laughs> the lady running it and it's interesting because like the five members like one of them um actually is at RA now there you go yeah he moved out to LA probably in year three of VIA. Okay. But we all still stay in touch, super tight. One of them still throws events in Pittsburgh, like on his own. Um, two of them I collaborate with really closely, uh, though one's in Denver and the other one, that's kind of where Hot Mass sprung out of. So we're all very right. tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of full circle, it's like I have a residency night at Hot Mass with like a team of women and non-binary folks, right? So mm-hmm. again, at that family level, like we're all creating these platforms and like sharing and involving one another in them. Mm. At the, the core team is still there, but everyone's kind of mutated into, like, their own projects in different roles. And I look at VIA as, like, a flower. You know, like, everyone, a lot of people have programs that they do year-round. And up until this year, VIA's really been, like, one big festival with maybe some special commissions. Mm-hmm. And all those groups end up kind of flowering back to the festival season. And we just all take on different roles. So now, instead of all of us, like, working on just one project together... In the past, it's been that Hot Mass would now hold all of the after parties, right? 
and, you know, all these other things kind of have sprung out of it. And I would say the family, like the Via family from where it came from is, like, I can't count it at this point, right? There, there's so many folks, like, that don't don't live in Pittsburgh at all that never did that I consider part of Via's family. I guess this is a good time to segue into talking about Hot Mass, which you just mentioned I know of Hot Mass as like an idea and a space and a, a, a bathhouse. What does it actually look like on the inside? I've always been curious to know. Ooh, I don't know if I'm allowed to describe oh, okay. it. <laughs> it's it's extremely dark. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's a tight it's a tight room on the second floor of a of like a row house type building, like a tall brick building yeah. downtown. The bathhouse is like on the top floors. Or above a bail bonds. <laughs> like, <laughs> so edgy. <laughs> yeah, so edgy. They were there before Hot Mass, though. Okay. Now it's a, it's a tight little room that's gone through um, a couple of its own changes. Uh, just like reconfiguring the floor. There's lots of, there's like so many, so many people invested in that space at this point. So many different crews that have really given so much love to it that have, that have allowed it to like evolve. Mm. And it seems to have really put, Pittsburgh on the map in terms of like outside of the United States, I would say, because I feel like I've heard about hot mass before I kind of connected it in my mind to this particular city. So do you feel like it's kind of bringing more attention to your scene and your city and these communities? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that also the individual promoters and the work that they're doing, uh, even though they all sit under the um, this umbrella of hot mass, mm-hmm. um, they each are like driving driving it right like they're not all speaking even with one voice sometimes like some people have labels and some people are doing like very particular parties there that bring a lot of energy to it but yeah I think just in general in club music right especially like late night stuff it really cemented a spot for people to go what is the the sensibility I suppose of your uh, collective is it girl effects or girlfriend it's girl effects girl effects and then people just call it gfx now too okay Right. It's kind of reducing itself. Like, yeah. over time, I think it'll be like Prince. It'll just, like, be a symbol eventually. <laughs> <laughs> this has been, like, an internal conversation of how to just keep, like, simplifying things. <laughs> reducing it to a pixel or something. Maybe yeah. it'll just be a pixel. I would kind of love that. <laughs> so so what does Girl Effects um represent essentially i mean you mentioned that it's for women and non-binary folks like what what space is it opening up for these communities that didn't exist there before yeah well the communities existed right Mm. we're just all interlaced in a different way i think a lot of the from my perspective a lot of the core members that have become part of gfx uh, are people that worked on via and But that's like a subset of folks, right, mm-hmm. where it is all women and non-binary people, where we said to each other, well, we should have our own thing, you know, not just as like an advocacy platform, but to really just cement, yeah, just to cement that we're the ones doing this work. Mm-hmm. And we always have been, you know, like, that's not like a bonus now that yeah. it's cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, when I look back, like, oh, we were all there at the beginning, too. Right. So even if um, going back to like the idea that I'm a woman that started this festival with, you know, a bunch of guys, like, in a weird way, I have to take on the responsibility of being the matriarch of that, Mm -hmm. right? Still a woman-run business. Mm. But, I mean, really, like, there's so much more to that team, right? 
And now we find ourselves eight years later and a certain subset of that team. Now we've crystallized into a group because we found that even in promoting in individual events or educational platforms, they were all still run by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there were if there were women or non-binary folks involved, like their presence was still kind of diminished. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like a natural thing to do um, because there was lots of artists we wanted to bring in that we felt like it made sense to create that specific type of invitation for them. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of people wanted to run workshops and kind of their identity was really crucial in how the, how they wanted to teach. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm curious to know a little bit more about, because um, I was looking at your website and there was a phrase about kind of matchmaking audio and visuals and about how this is a really kind of fulfilling exercise of like bringing these two different, sometimes interconnected, but kind of like literally facilitating the kind of combination of these two distinct art forms, I suppose. I guess over the last eight years, it'd be great to know what are some of the most like potent or memorable or um, surprising combinations of people that you've managed to bring together? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> How much time do you have? Hours. Hours. Sweet. No, you hit my sweet spot on that oh, one. Okay, that, that's like that's like my core. Yeah. Like if you got a core drive, like that's my core drive. I love um, I love matchmaking artists. It's so great. <laughs> what is it that um, you love about it? I think part of it is that they're that it's just pure intuition in a way. Like, that's where I'm my most creative. So for me, it's just so personally fulfilling to f- to see um, an intuition that I have, like, uh, echoed in folks when I reach out to them. And even if there's just a tiny spark, or if people don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but they're willing to trust me, I am so, like, honored by that. Like, I get so much personal happiness out of that. And then beyond that, once you kind of do that, and you can also, to some degree, provide creative direction, um, and my role has kind of shifted in every case, right? Sometimes I'm very involved, um, where I could be considered a, maybe a third artist in that relationship. And sometimes I just need to introduce people. Um, and from from that point on, that's where I'm just excited, because like you can't control that, and you're going to see something flourish out of that that never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just love the idea of like helping to facilitate new things between people. Oh my gosh, what are some great ones? I would say, okay, one that could have gone terribly wrong was when I asked uh, Jeremy Bailey, who is a digital artist from Toronto. And if you look him up, uh, like the profile, and this is a character that he definitely plays up, is like super white nerd, computer, computer aficionado. Uh, computer vision dude and at that time he was playing with the connect this is back in like 2012 Uh, and I was watching his work and he had kind of this uh yeah persona that he would that he would act out like through webcam um and he was creating kind of these like larger than life bodies or like warrior bodies using the connect so he would motion towards the camera and his body would uh would be like amplified and augmented by you know all these kind of virtual like virtual armor basically so I was, I was watching him do these moves and thinking about like uh, battle mode in a certain way in his version of battle mode and at the same time I was watching like tons of footwork videos um because it's 2012 so like 
was it Bangs and Works came out yeah, that year? Around then, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of going through its whole, like, resurgence. And, of course, there's this discussion of, like, oh, could we get Spin, Rashad, and Manny out? So in my mind, I'm like, hmm, there's a, there's something there. <laughs> this could be awful, but there's something there. And so I introduced this idea first to Jeremy, and I was like, you know, have you seen these videos? Um, what do you think about that? And how would you feel if I invited, um, especially Manny, uh, who, like, when the three of them were out touring, Manny was really the one, like, getting on the floor. I was like, what if I invited Manny to, like, break your machine? Just through, like, speed, you know, like, like fuck with the connect. Okay. I want to I break your code. But I want, like, a real human body to, like, just be too fast. Like, your code can't follow this body, right? So this was, like, again, my my kind of own thoughts, my own way of processing this. And he was kind of, like, at first, like, I don't know what, what about this maybe. this There's something here I don't feel too comfortable with. And I was like, I know. We're getting into a lot. Yeah. And then I, like, approached those guys. And I was like, hey, here's this, this guy's video. Uh, how would you feel if I, you know, again paired you up for a little experiment on the stage and they were just like yeah whatever (laughs) and so many of these like dates are blind dates because especially when you're going through agents yeah um which is getting more and more open but i would say back in 2012 when agents are being approached by me someone like me like hey yeah cool we're gonna do these bookings but really i want to talk about this whole other idea where there's this connect and like (laughs) this other shit going on breaking this virtual armor (laughs) yeah like people just are like no like there's not a lot of time for that discussion so yeah you're you're kind of putting people on a straight up blind date Mm -hmm. um but that's a that was a moment that was incredible um and not only did manny break jeremy's um system but I think we also create environments where there's a lot of uh, beautiful chaos that can happen, like, with the audience. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, it just got bum-rushed. And, I mean, like, there are just – I don't know how many people, how many ever you could fit on that stage, like, trying to take their go at it. Um, And it was just really beautiful. Did you have a moment, though, as an event producer going, oh, my gosh, like – things are not happening the way they're supposed to happen? No, they were – that's exactly – it was going down exactly the way it needed uh, right. to happen. Okay. Okay. It, was, it was perfect. Um, and there were a lot of other artists there that year that just kind of fed into that chaos in a good way. A lot of net artists that um, made, like, a really great soup out of it at the end. But that was – long story, but that's a pairing that you really didn't know, in a way, how it was going to go, but both sides – um, like really enjoyed themselves as artists and like they made a connection. They would have never met or worked together. Um, and the audience watching them figure that out together, I think was even more exciting. And I think that got people so stoked and like, we're not an uptight festival. So there are moments right for that, like freedom to like let people just get it on together. Yeah. Um, and it is about also failure. Like I want artists to be able to take chances, not to think that they have to present something that's going to be pristine, but, but honestly really fuck around in, like, a really joyful way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a great one. Let me think of one more. I think this isn't a pairing, but how my thinking evolved past, like, a one-to-one date where it started to move into super teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm still in that, in that mode of what kind of super team can we create. And this one super team that I was maybe more of a part in, I was more of an artist, was when I'd been talking to LaTurbo Avedon, who is a sim um, and a virtual artist. 
And her and I were talking, and that was all. This was now maybe around 2014, where the uh, Oculus was starting to come into like public consciousness, and artists were were very wary of this becoming just like a marketing thing, which we're on the other side of that now, you know. But it was still like a fun a fun moment in VR and very hopeful moment. And also in also virtual communities. So I was talking to Laturbo about, well, what could we, you know, maybe we want to put something together. And ASMR, by the way, was also starting to get, get its groove on, right? right. So we were just talking about all these phenomena, and uh, we decided to collaborate with an ASMR, like a YouTube ASMR star. So it was kind of two virtual bodies and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we wanted to, like embody actually embody these things and figure out how to make them like physical experiences for people um and out of that collaboration we came up with a 30-foot bubble like an inflatable that was in the center of this like uh it was a city building uh, that hadn't been used as incredible historical building so we had this giant bubble um and the acoustics of course a bubble like already have their own surround sound going on um, and we kind of created this out-of-body ASMR experience that uh, could be done by three people at a time just laying down. So it was like this retreat inside of a cacophonous, crazy building where you would go and be kind of completely isolated from the world, uh, lay down, and have kind of like a 15-minute out-of-body experience. Some people thought that they were dying <laughs> in like a really beautiful way. Other other people just thought they were being taken through like a very relaxing meditation or just a trip. You know, and and that was really special for me. Not not only because of the collaboration and how much like I also felt like an artist in that process mm-hmm. to like vi- to to actually create a world with people, but I just liked that like cal- that very calm moment for people, and it started to make me rethink um, all the types of spaces that we need or want um, when we're having like sonic experiences, you know, and how to kind of put those together as a world. So that just helped me grow a lot like as an organizer and an artist. It sounds pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one that one's probably on the site. It's, that one's called ASMR NPC. Okay. Just quickly I'll ask you because I feel like this is another um, tangent topic that could um, fill up an entire exchange on its own. What do you foresee, I suppose, um, the future or the capabilities of um, VR and AR in relation to physical spaces and perhaps also in combination with performance of music like where do you as somebody who's pretty steeped in this type of in these types of communities like where do you foresee it going yeah I actually see it as a um as a tool for sound design right now I think that that's maybe where the most interesting developments could happen in like spatialized sound um and I really am reading and thinking about it more in terms of therapy. Like, not even in terms of, like, the idea of entertainment. I, I like it to be divorced from that. Like, in my in my approach to it, right, when I want to understand it, like, understand its psychological impacts mm-hmm. or, or the potential, like, creative impacts that it can have for an individual to help them grow. Like, I always approach it from that angle. And I think when you start to branch out, when you think of, uh, like, festivals or, like, these larger types of events where you start to have multiple people involved, I think it could do – I think there's a lot of really cool things there in sound design mm. and doing spatialized sound. So probably one of the most amazing, you know, immersive environments is, like, a – right? Like, a full-spectrum 4D sound mm. environment. Like, mm-hmm. it shapes space. And 
I kind of think we're coming full circle. In a way, I just want to be in a dark room yeah. right now, like with like with like incredible sound, yeah. you know, that shapes the world that I that I can move around in. Mm. Do you think that's like going to be reflected in audiences in general? Do you think that people will want to kind of come full circle to perhaps being in a space that's not as um, interactive or not as like sensory? To be like a Spartan minimalism. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. I don't know if we want to go down that a road. Cold, dark room with great sound. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Berlin. I don't know. Like, is that why we're here? Touche. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I think in uh, the money making world, we are still very much. Uh, we're on like we're in maximalist mode. Yeah. I think we're still exploring that in many ways and. I think the poetics of something like VR have a, a long way to go. And I would hope that it can happen in a way that touches, like, a broad audience. Mm. You know, I, I hope people can have, like, semi-spiritual experiences through it, you know? Not just realize that they're, like, participating in, like, a marketing game. Speaking of Berlin, you're here for a few days on a whirlwind... European and North American tour, kind of like a fact-finding, space-researching mission, I suppose you can call it. It'd be great if you could explain why it is that you're here. Oh, man, how did I get here? Backing back up to Pittsburgh, there is an exhibition that happens every four years called the Carnegie International, which is one of the oldest international uh, exhibitions of contemporary art, I think, in the world, because... Steele, Andrew Carnegie, he had tons of money in the 1800s and okay. also realized that he wanted to bring artists from around the world to Pittsburgh. Oh, interesting. Okay. Me opposite, not having a ton of money, had the same <laughs> same feeling hundreds of, you know, 100 years later, 100 plus years later. But, you know, I digress, like whatever. Um, so anyway, that, that BNL's like been happening uh, for a very long time and it's going to happen again this October. And they always have, like, a local initiative, and this time they decided to put out a call to some cultural workers, artists, uh, and have people pr uh, propose, you know, like, what would a little research trip look like for them? And, and why is that relevant uh, to Pittsburgh being an international city? And I kind of just went on my soapbox about the, <laughs> the, the things that I've been trying to, to work on the last couple of years about, like... What are the spaces that we have? Um, and more than that, like, what are the international communities that we maybe already have? And what's the gap between the two? You know, like, why why maybe aren't we seeing, like, a higher turnover of artists coming in and out of the city? Like, how can we do better? Um, how can we do different? And also, like, how can I maybe better utilize the network that I've built, like, over all these years and come back with some some intel and some tools to just, like, share with folks? Mm -hmm. And so that's the purpose of, like, the research trip. So my first stop was in Montreal, um, which is very much like a maybe a more research-based or a research network-based experiment. And then here, there have just been certain spaces because Berlin just has such a plethora of different spaces that can support audiovisual programming. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at really, like, the hard hardcore part of it of, like, you know, what rooms are in, what resources do we have, like, in these spaces that artists need uh, to be able to, like, move their careers forward. Has anything kind of jumped out at you? Um, I think I'm still overwhelmed by just the range of what's here and the fact that there's, like, multiples within that range. Right. 
But when I got here, you know, I was telling you, I just came from Funk House, and I have to wrap my mind around that place, you know, from beginning to end, the history of that spot, how how it's being operated now. There's a lot to dig in there, so I'm definitely going to, like, do more research on that. But mm. um, in particular, like, I was checking out Monom's 4D Sound, mm-hmm. and the fact that they have kind of, like, their own little research unit in there and are able to develop uh, their works as, like, a super young company, you know, and clearly they come from artist background. Like, yeah. I, I'm really excited about that for them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's incredible that this city has, again, like, such a such a massive range of options for artists. Yeah, where will I go? Tonight, like, I'll go to, like, a smaller space. Yesterday I was at more of, like, an artist-run center mm-hmm. that is a collective of collectives. So I'm looking at those structures and figuring out, out how people are making them work. Yeah. And then um, I believe it towards the end of your trip or the final stop of your trip um you're going to let's call it a summit (laughs) um as part of your new fairly new appointment to new forms festival give us a little bit of background about how that came about and what you're going to be doing for new forms festival yeah i'm so excited about that that's (laughs) going to be a team of four um again it's a full circle story because the way i know new forms is through Via. Um, Via was invited to apply to this network called ICAS, which is International Cities of Advanced Sound. And that was back in 2012. So after we had had like about two, three years of programming. And I applied, was accepted, um, went up to Mutech and met all these festival directors from all over the world. And for me, that was like, an incredible moment because I was like, I'm not alone in this. Like, oh my God, like this is how you do it in Rio or like this is how you do it in London. And I just like am still continuing to learn so much from folks in this network. And New Forms was a member of that network. So uh, that's when I started meeting their team. And it's just, I mean, the benefits of that network, just allowing people to stay in touch, Mm. even if you don't, you know, do a project together or whatever. I mean, I I think I'll advocate forever that, like, that that changed everything for me. And so over the years, like, I've stayed in touch with numerous festivals, gone to them to speak. Like, mm-hmm. uh, New Forms invited me up in 2015 when they were hosting Isaiah, which is the International Symposium of Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. So I went there and did a presentation for them. And, yeah, they put out a call for a a programmer, I think, just one. And so I gave him gave him my papers and I was like, hey, I just I just want to take a shot at this. I don't know. My gut is just like, why not? Um and it wouldn't be a position where I'd have to move. Um and then they went through a process and they decided to also completely restructure and give a new form to new forms. So <laughs> they're bringing in a new team. We're all going to meet for the first time and kind of sit down and put our brains together. Mm-hmm. So I think every stop that I make on this trip as well is like, is for, you know, researching for new forms. Um, my role is specifically uh, touring projects and international partnerships um, or international artist packages. So I'm, yeah, doing a lot at one time. Like I'm also trying to go out to shows, like research local scenes, just talk to folks, like see if there's a there there 
<laughs> and then hopefully when I end up in Vancouver, I like open up this like suitcase of ideas, you know, and say like, like Mary hey. Poppins. Yeah. yeah, like total Mary Poppins. Like, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah, it's been very productive though. It's been it's been a really generous trip so far. Yeah. And so what does that mean in terms of um via? Sorry, I keep I I have to pronounce it as via just because I'm <laughs> Of the like, empire. Is this like the tomato-tomato <laughs> yeah. conversation? We're just going to have to agree to disagree. I mean, how how are they going to, like, coexist in your life and in your in your hours of the day, of which it sounds like are already pretty thinly spread out? There's none, yeah. Well, I have currently a project uh, going on. It's going to result in an exhibition in January, February. So I'm going through that process. Mm-hmm. And that has, I think... It's been a two-year project, so that initially had, like, 45 artists involved, and now it has 15, just by the nature of, like, how we're producing this and and, and producing the exhibition. So I need to focus on that. And I think, like I said at the beginning of our chat, like, I need to, I need to put it on hold for a minute. I really want to, like, examine it, and I want to talk to folks in Pittsburgh and see, like, what the next phase would look like. And I really, for myself, want to challenge myself as a curator. I think it's it's so important that you have to get out of yourself for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what my gut was telling me when I was like, I think I should just reach out to new forms. I don't know what this will take. Um, but I want to I wanna try to work with a new set of parameters, which will just make me a better organizer at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm giving myself, like, some homework. Yeah. Well, I guess as a final topic, I want to ask you about Boo Lean. Oh, her? <laughs> who is Who is Boo Lean? <laughs> who is What's she, she about? Mmm. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> like, I was like, don't ask me about DJ. <laughs> don't ask me about, like, me, me. <laughs> What's she about? Oh, my God. She's such a nerd. <laughs> Such a nerd. The name, I mean, come on. Where does the name actually come from? Well, if you, like, take the space out, it's Boolean code. Oh, that's really nerdy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that started out by a joke. Actually, someone else else gave me that name, and it just stuck. I can't get rid of it. I think just because I can't think of anything. (laughs) And I I just accepted it. Um, I mean, I've, I've played music and, you know been I've made mixtapes that kind of shit like my whole life I love sharing music with people right and I think uh just in the last couple years I've like maybe rather than helping other artists like do their thing I've tried to turn that knob towards myself and just been like come on like just put yourself out there a little bit more you know you like to play you know you're not that bad at it you know you can get better at it um, and just, like, make sure that I'm part of that conversation as a practitioner, too. I think, like, the intellectual side of myself is, like, well, of course you need to do both sides. Like, you got to live it to know it. Um, but really, that's just, it's just my heart. Like, it's really just me, like, loving to play to a room of people. Um, and it's, like, the most exciting way to be present and disappear Ooh, at I like the that. same time. Yeah. I feel very close to people when I do it, and yet, like, a total ghost. There's something f- about it for me that is just very special. Is there um, a quintessential Boo Lean, DJ Boo Lean track 
<laughs> it depends on it depends on like what day you're gonna catch me. On. Okay. <laughs> if you're playing tonight, for example. Oh, do you know? Uh, well, anything coming off of FTP. What's FTP? It's a label. I don't know it. Yeah. Um, there's an artist that released what's more like a jungle track, but it's Thin. Uh, artist named Thin T H I N H. Uh, what else? DJ Torture. If you've heard of DJ Torture. Okay, yeah. I like his stuff a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I was telling you the other day, like, uh, I think she's from Australia. Her name's Chun Yin. Okay. Uh, she has a track called Animus that I really like. Okay. So it's the, the DJ Boolean anthem of today. <laughs> of today. <laughs> Call me tomorrow. We might have different feelings. Um, I guess as a last question. So kind of coming full circle because we met at the beginning of this year. Um, at CTM Festival, and one of the panels that we were both involved in was about um, mentorship, essentially. If somebody was to approach you and express admiration for the work that you do and the work you've done in the past and um, the new directions that you're heading in now and wanted some advice from you or wanted um, some of your insight, what would you impart to them? <laughs> I only laugh because, like, I would probably look over my shoulder as if they were talking to someone else. <laughs> I'd be like, who, me? Or, like, you know, looking for, like, my mentor. Because I still feel like I'm, if anybody's out there, <laughs> like, I'm still, like, seeking a mentor, like, so much. But, no, I mean, that would mean a lot to me. And I think that... I think I would probably just start talking to them about, like, the most unexciting shit. Like, like, like in a way, like, that mom talk where you're like, and make sure you do this and don't do that and get a lawyer and do this and do that. Like, all the things that when you are a creative person, you, like, run into the sun. And organizers are creative folks. Like, mm-hmm. I would challenge anyone to say that, like, organizers are not artists. Like, I truly believe that we're artists. We just work with different materials, mm-hmm. which are people and spaces. But I would, yeah, I would come at it like that from the nuts and bolts of all the things that maybe I learned the hard way that could have been solved by some some simple tool, like simple things that you could do up front. Um, yeah, like when you're running into the sun and you're so passionate and excited and you're so trusting, we hear this over and over again. It's like, nope, nope, you hold on. You know, you got to do a little bit of homework. And I think also... Just in general, like, letting go. Like, sometimes stuff just doesn't work. Um, And that's really scary to let go of that. And I have to, I'm still working on that. I think anybody in this field has a very hard time letting go. When you've committed yourself to a project idea um, and committed with artists to do something, you, you usually care extremely deeply about it. You're personally invested in it. This is not like a money run for anybody. Um, but it's sometimes you also have to say like, this isn't working. We have to retool it. Um, and you have to find a way, you always have to find a way to get out. And that's another, I think, tool that I wish would be taught to artists and to organizers is like, yeah, how to, how to shut things down or back out of, of anything. You know, I think artists are learning that, um, but artists that don't have agents, right? They need to learn how to say no and trust their gut when things aren't working so right. Yeah. 
that would be, I'm sure that they would be super disappointed. They'd be like, oh my God, I thought this was going to be so affirming. And then, <laughs> and then I'm like, Mm-mm, we got to talk about all this really scary shit first. And then we can talk about like all the life affirming stuff that happens in this, in this work. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint y'all, but that's how it is. <laughs> Advice from Festival Mom. I guess so, yeah. And then, yeah, it went, let me know where my mentor is because I'm still, I'm still looking for those answers too. <laughs>